Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to be here today with Jason and Roz. Before we go any further, you can be uh, a big help to us if you rate and review the podcast wherever it is you listen to it. Make sure you subscribe to us on your podcast player and that way you'll never miss a bonus episode. Now, today's conversation is with two of my dear friends, Jason and Roz. They um, are entrepreneurs and intelligent individuals when it comes to so many things. Uh, Chief amongst them is how to do church. And so we talk about different types of churches and you should know that we did have this conversation prior to the coronavirus world that we now call our home, but it's still an important conversation because how we engage the community matters and maybe now more so than ever before. So check out this conversation, listen to some of the ways that they can talk about being contextual and what that means for us. And uh, can't wait to hear your feedback on this episode. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Moore and Rosario Picardo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm here today with two of my dear friends, Jason Moore, Rosario Picardo, authors, speakers, church leaders extraordinaire. How the heck are you guys? Good. Good to be with you. Yeah. It's now, Roz is a, a repeat offender here on the podcast. He's been on. Uh, we'll link to his episode earlier on. So we know a little bit of his story, but um, you guys are embarking on a brand new project that I really want to dive into, pun intended. Um, <laughs> franchise. That's, that's so bad. That's I know. Bad. You're welcome. You're welcome. Franchise the local dive. Uh, Jason, tell me a little about the premise of the book. And then um, Rosario, tell me why is this uh, the right time in the church's history to write a book like this? So the premise of the book is that um, our tendency in the church sometimes when we're trying to revitalize something or start something new is to look to the successful models that are already there, that already exist, and just try and kind of copy them. Um, so that's, that's one level of it, I think. Another level of it is that we see churches that are doing great things and having a lot of success and they want to start something new. So they just take it to another city and, and replicate exactly what's happening where they're at. And in some cases fail miserably because they try to impose the franchise on a new place without really coming to know their local context and really getting to know the community that they're in. So uh, the idea of the franchise, we're not saying necessarily that franchises are bad. I mean, Roz and I, and, and you were on staff there as well. Uh, mm -hmm. We're on staff at one of the most well-known franchises in the United Methodist church. Uh, and, and there was certainly something worth replicating there. So we're not saying franchises are bad, but we think for a franchise to really work, in another setting, in another location, in another part of the city, in another town, in another state, uh, that town or that, that church has to really get to know in an indigenous way uh, who they are. So the metaphor being uh, have that local dive mentality um, keying off of sort of the franchise or the um, Guy Fieri's uh, drive-ins, diners, and drives uh, was where we originally kind of came up with this idea. We, we were trying to figure out what is the opposite of a franchise mm. and came to that as our, as our metaphor. Roz, well, why is this a good time in the church's history to have this kind of conversation? Yeah, we, um, I mean, that's a great question. I think 
for a variety of reasons, church planting now um, has gone from being a necessity to being trendy. Mm. And so with that uh, comes a lot of pitfalls uh, when we think about the models that different organizations, planters, other churches use when it comes to church planting. And so um, a lot of it could be a, a copy and paste type of model that we've seen in the past. And so kind of during the church growth era of the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was more, hey, you could open up a building and you'll have people there. You build it, they will come. And what worked 20 years ago isn't going to work today. But it seems that we haven't moved away from, uh, you know, the, the copy and paste big box model. And so with that, um, you can end up doing a lot of damage to communities, uh, to the church you plant, and also um, might have to shift midway and realizing, hey, I don't have the money to be attractional. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have the desire, um, and not that attractional is bad because uh, you, you have to do an element of attraction. Jesus did that. You know, he talked about come and see, and when he did different miracles and, and folks came around him. But the reality is uh, there's a movement more toward being local in a community, incarnational. And when you are thinking more of a big box um, franchise, uh, the tendency is not to think about the area you're moving into, but you look at more your bottom line. And a bottom line for a franchise is we need to make more money or we need to uh, be profitable really quickly. Um, and not to say that's wrong, but when that becomes a priority over the quality of your product and the customers you're trying to attract, then you have some issues there. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what I really hear is that uh, both models have a place in the market, but it, mm -hmm. things are shifting to this idea of a local dive. Now, I, I believe that most of the people that listen to our podcast, my podcast family, so to speak, are somewhere in their 30 to 40s. They, they would identify as Christian, but oftentimes church feels like one more thing for them. And the whole thing can just feel overwhelming at times. So, uh, if you're talking to that person, maybe maybe a dad, a father of, of a couple kids who's who knows Christ but isn't really following him, how, how would you tell him to to know the difference between uh, a franchise and local dive, and then and then which place should he be in? Jason, what do you think? You know, uh, I think for me, um, the franchise and local dive language is probably more for the insider than the outsider. It's more about strategies to reach somebody um, that would come rather than, I don't know if, I don't know if that average person you're talking about would articulate one way or the other. I think that the way that we um, strategize to reach that person is probably what matters. Um, obviously there are franchises that are working well. Uh, I think about, um, couple of years ago, I was invited to lead a, or um, participate as a leader in a weekend experience for uh, first impressions directors that happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the places we went was um, 
Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick's church. Yeah, huge church. Yeah, and you know, they're, they have multiple locations, and everything is pretty much identical, and uh, the worship order is the same, they sing the song, same music, and you know, that place is filled to the gills with, with people and young people, you know, so um, I don't know if someone would walk in off the street, uh, the person you describe, and say, this feels franchise or even local dive to me, but there's something there that, that resonates, you know. Um, I think that, uh, what we all have in common is, um, is that we crave connection and community. And, uh, I think part of what doesn't work so much about franchise sometimes, especially in our, our churches that aren't thriving anymore is that we're inwardly focused and we don't really care so much about building meaningful relationships with people on the outside. So I think that person who doesn't, you know, maybe they're, they wouldn't call themselves a Christian or maybe they're just sort of hanging out at church now and then. I think that if we don't have strategies to create, I mean, one of the things about local dives that really works is, uh, and I was just talking yesterday with Sarah Heath, um, who's a, a leader at a church in California, um, was talking about how when you walk in the dive, you know, people know who you are. Like you think about the old cheers, you know, where everybody knows your name. You, you sit down at the bar with with Norm and, you know, all, all those people. And when you walk in, everybody knows everybody. Uh, the sense of community is, is really important. And, and I think that if we're not intentional, we can get really wrapped up in the excellence and the consistency and not that those things don't matter, but having um, our brand standards become uh, the most important thing and not so much the way that we reach out to people and make them feel uh, welcome to our community. So I, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but uh, I, I think it gets us into the right, I, I think it gets us into the right area uh, about the sense of intentional community. Roz, what, what thoughts do you have on the topic? Yeah. A franchise or large church is going to be offer being a, be able to offer things that a small to mid-sized church can't offer. And the temptation for small to mid-sized churches is to not act your age. Um, so you can't be all things to all people. Um, so if someone is asking, hey, do you have a special needs ministry? We don't. We'd love to have one, but we may never get there. Who knows? Uh, large churches have the ability to meet multiple needs that small to mid-sized churches can't meet. Um, large churches as well, if you want anonymity and you want to just kind of come in um, be a part of the worship experience and duck out, uh, you can do that. It's going to be harder to get involved and get to know people by, be, because surely alone the numbers of people walking in uh, is going to make that difficult. So uh, you could have that problem with small to mid-sized churches too, but there's more of an obstacle there. So uh, wherever you go, uh, like Jason said, community is going to be something that you're going to have to seek out and those who want more get more. So it's, it's going to be on you. Um, but it, yeah, each one has its drawbacks. And I think it really depends on how somebody's wired, uh, the ability um, uh, to be able to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you're, I, I, I would just, I, I would just, add to that and and maybe even just um 
reiterate that some people want to hide in the crowd and that feels more comfortable. So I'm somebody that doesn't have a deep faith, but I, I feel comfort in that. And other people are looking for connection and looking for community. And so some people might be more attracted to the, the franchise because they can hide out. And I think some people are more attracted to the local dive because they're looking for something that is meaningful and, and I'm not anonymous. Yeah. And what I, I do get the sense that you guys are both strongly saying that neither one is inherently good or bad. No. Right. Absolutely. Pepper is going to reach people. I mean, that's why we have a variety of churches, denominations, non-denominational. Um, it's the multiple ways of how we can view God and each one is going to reach people differently. Now, it, go ahead. Yeah. I would also just say that as I, as I have even gotten more familiar with the book, you know, when you start to write something, it becomes its own thing over time. Um, I'm doing kind of some final edits right now. And the, what I, what I began to realize in looking at what we wrote and what we heard from those that we interviewed and so on is that from franchise to local dive really describes the gambit. You know, you, there's a, there's a, there's a whole span that starts at franchise and goes to local dive and it, you can be anywhere on that spectrum. Uh, it doesn't, we're not saying one is bad. The other is good, but it's just, you know, uh, from, from baby steps to adulthood, all those stages of life matter. It's not one's good and one's bad. It's just describing that whole span of what a church can be. Is there a way for local dives to be big churches too, or no? I mean, I, I guess how, how would you just how would you define a local dive versus, uh, you know, uh, maybe just that's the question. How would you define a local dive? Roz, do you want to take that? Yeah, I would. I would say a local dive. Really, the priority is the people in their community, along with putting out a quality product that's going to be true to who they are. Um, and the goal is not necessarily to make more money and the goal isn't necessarily uh, to mass produce things, but it's going to be the quality of what they do with keeping in mind the target of the people who they're trying to reach. Um, and so it's going to be unapologetically local flavoring seasoning, as we talk about in the book uh, versus looking at uh, different things that may be working across the country that may not even apply to their local context and setting. Yeah, one of the things that's super impressive about the way that you guys put this book together is that you intentionally went out and spoke to um, a lot of different church leaders about the way they built their ministry and franchise versus local dive and all the way that that looks. Um, I, I guess one of the questions I have for each of you is how has that changed the way that you looked at church? I mean, you guys are both fairly accomplished in the church world, but I would imagine taking a, a cross country tour to talk to church leaders about building ministries is impactful. What's your biggest takeaway from this journey? I think for me, uh, what is so interesting about all of it is that every church, every successful church we've talked to mm -hmm. has a slightly different recipe. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's really easy to sort of say, let's take best practices and apply them wholesale to a church. So every church, um, I, for the book, I've probably done eight or nine, maybe even more, uh, and 
extensive interviews with leaders. <clears throat> Every leader gave us a different nugget. And there were some overlap. There were some common things that all these churches did. But I think every church has, has to sort of know what its secret sauce is. So what we don't try to do in the book is say, here's your secret sauce, or here's, a recipe, here's five recipes, pick one. What we're mm. trying to do is give people the right questions to ask to have the sort of success that an Adam, Adam Weber or Scott Crostick or Matt Miofsky or Sarah Heath or, you know, whoever has. So I think from my aha moment was these are not necessarily universal application points. Everybody had to discover their own recipe and, and apply it intentionally. Yeah. Another um, interesting thing we discovered is uh, through the interviews, uh, the fairly, uh, fruitful churches in terms of attendance and um, growth, numeric growth, had more of a longer pastoral tenure, and the pastors were local. Uh, so they didn't move from across the country. There were some exceptions to that, like Scott Crosstech, but other than that, those pastors were from their communities, like Matt Miofsky. Um, he mentioned that Jacob Armstrong, same thing. Now Scott moved from Detroit to Kansas city, but the primary, uh, you know, thing that we saw with him was the intentionality of meeting new people. So throughout that's one of the principles we saw was, Hey, engagement is the name of the game for these church planters that would become, uh, leaders of more larger movements. Do you guys think that um, the the landscape of of how people engage the church is changing, and and what do you predict for the next five to ten years? I absolutely think that it has changed. <clears throat> like if we you missed it, if you haven't already changed, you're behind. <laughs> All right. right. Yes, I mean one of the big aha moments for a lot of churches in the last five years maybe is that people who consider themselves regular attendees of a church might attend a handful of times a year. Yep. You know, I was talking with someone in, I was in Albuquerque uh, two weekends ago and a pastor was telling me that someone was sharing that their church is the church I was speaking at. And she said, Oh, I don't, when, when was the last time you were with us? I haven't seen you for a while. And she said, oh, I usually come uh, on Christmas and Easter. And she considers herself a regular attendee of this church. Like yeah. the, the Sunday morning routine is different than it once was. Uh, so um, church of the resurrection, our largest United Methodist church did a study a few years ago that found their most committed members only attend on average about one and a half times a month. Now that might mean they're there three weeks in a row and then gone for two weeks or, or whatever. Um, you know, Sunday is no longer sacred. So you've got soccer games and, you know, basketball tournaments and things that happen. And, and I also think that our patterns have shifted. Uh, the, the final thing I would sort of say uh, around this question is that we're in a world that is more connected than it's ever been but I think we feel more isolated than we ever have before. And if we're not intentional about creating meaningful connections where I think people still crave relationship and that human t interaction and that actual human touch, um, we can't substitute 
what we get from social media um, for that actual real interaction and relationship. But we also are doing worship sometimes or doing church in a way that is so inwardly focused and we only really care about the, you know, me and the, these three people that are already here that we don't make what we're doing a, attractional in the right sense of attractional to those who are not yet part of our faith communities. That's good. Thank you. Roz, what about you? I mean, I, I think um, one of the things that I'm practicing and passionate about is multi-ethnic, the multi-ethnic church. Um, that'll be a reality for a lot of churches if they're not on board yet. Uh, this year alone, the census data says that we had more non-white children born, um, more than more than half the children were non-white. And so uh, there's a radical shift in our country that's taking place. And if the church doesn't get on board with that, we're going to be irrelevant um, with mm-hmm. the community that we're trying to reach. And so how do we think of multi-ethnic worship, multi-ethnic church, and um, ways of reaching out to people that are different than us? So I think that's huge. Um, also, uh, and Carrie Newhoff hit on this, we're, um, even though we're a do-it-yourself kind of culture, we're a do-it-for-you culture um, in the church. And so people want discipleship done for them. And uh, I think we'll see that we've already seen the fruit of that, let's say, with student ministry around the country that's suffering. Um, and we've seen the, the fruit of it with, uh, for instance, sports, sport, uh, sports games and outings uh, for kids that have kind of been taking over. So um, I think we'll see more of a lack of discipleship when it comes to families. Uh, culture. And so the church has to really try to capitalize on that, even with families missing from worship. Uh, Like Jason said, you're a regular tender if you're there once a month. Some families, it's maybe once every two months based on sports and and that kind of schedule. We can't beat them up and chastise them. So how do we reach them? Um, So I think there'll be more of a shift to online and a lot of Folks have done this, but more online classes, Bible studies, membership classes, um, those things. And so it's going to be hard for pastors to figure that out. I I would also just add that um, the online presence is something that I think people are still ignoring. Mm -hmm. Um, I've really experienced in the last, probably the last two years, as I have been out doing seminars and working with churches, um, a trend toward... The way that the statistics seem to be working out is that people who are broadcasting their worship are actually seeing more visitors than not. And it is, there's, I think there's this fear that if you broadcast your worship, people stay home and watch. Right. Uh, what, what seems to be happening in all the churches I'm working with that are broadcasting is they're seeing more visitors than they've seen before. And the reason I think for that is there's less vulnerability in two, in two or three times to say, do I like what this church is doing? I think now I'm ready to walk through the doors. There's a huge level of vulnerability in walking through the doors without knowing anybody or knowing anything about the church. So I do think we have to, um, it's not a substitute. There is a relationship between what's happening online and our social media strategy and what happens when people walk through the doors. So to be 
in, intentional about those things. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that at Restoration, um, the largest campus, so to speak, I, I use air quotes because we don't really have campuses, but our, la- our largest worshiping community together is our online community every, mm-hmm. every week. You know, we'll, we'll do 60 to 80 in our traditional service and we'll do um, 130 to 180 in our um, contemporary modern worship. And then online, we'll do 150 to 250. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's astronomical. And so if, if you're going to invest your resources into places where the people are, and then that, that begs a, a big question of how do we engage that next level kind well, of online stuff. One other thing I think that's so important that a lot of churches aren't doing, but I think need to start to think about um, last fall I spoke, or I, I visited a conference I'm speaking at this year. Uh, called That Church Conference, and it's a great kind of ecumenical conference about church communications and so on. And uh, what one of the things that they talked about there um, is repurposing your content for a, a digital audience. So um, there were some folks there from North Point talking about how the sermons that Andy Stanley preaches are viewed thousands and thousands, you know, tens of thousands more times than people come to worship and that they take that and break it up into bite-sized segments that people can watch, you know, as they're sitting on the bus or on the subway or, you know, uh, between meetings or or whatever. Um, I also really believe that the church of the future, 10 years from now, it seems to me that the trend would be that we're less organized in rows and more organized in circles, you know, that we have more conversation, more relationships. There are two churches in the book that I write about that took all their pews and they uprooted them and moved them so that everybody's facing inward and the pastor preaches from the, the center of the room, the band. Oh, is that, is that awkward? They said that it had, I, I actually visited one of them. I thought it would be. And my wife who's an introvert. I thought she was going to absolutely hate it, but it's done in such an authentic way that um, it, it, it feels really comfortable. It feels more like, sitting around at someone's house and having Bible study together and really asking questions and digging deep. This pastor, Brent Ross, who's in the book, um, says, I don't want to be the sage from the stage. I want to be the leader of a conversation that we can explore together what we're talking about today. So uh, people sit in in a different sort of format. So I, I really believe that there's some some way that we're heading that is more about community and, and um, interaction than just listening to one person talk and we receive. I, I think that doesn't go away, but I think that the more intentional we are about engaging people so that it's more of a dialogue than a monologue uh, is, is part of the future of where we're headed. Roz, what do you think about where we're headed? I, I mean, one of the interesting things about this conversation about digital and all this stuff is that it that feels very franchisey to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but uh, how do you how do you put that in perspective, considering all the things that we're talking about with the local dive aspect? Yeah, I, I think it's how you use the tool. Um, you know, local dive still market, and they it's just their content is going to look differently when they market, when they try to reach their customers through social media, their website. Um, it's just part of their method. It's not their only part. It's not their only method. It's just part of it. And so um, 
we have to just think of creative ways to get our message out, um, be able to interact with people. Engagement's the name of the game, ultimately. And it might not mean people walking through the doors of our church, uh, but it, it might mean for us to be in their, in their living room or mm. in their pockets um, as much as that would pain a lot of pastors because some, you know, spend a lot of time, they go to seminary and <laughs> the thought of the thought of, Hey, this is what right. it look like in the future. I, I mean, spent all that money on education. <laughs> with higher education, that's the reality too. You have professors that have studied their whole life. They got PhDs and now they're teaching online. Mm-hmm. And they're getting an online lecture that's being uploaded. Um, now, we haven't hit that moment yet where we're just exclusively online. But, you know, it could be that too where your congregation is all online virtual. So I could see something like that taking place where you eliminate the overhead, uh, but then there's that lack of community too. So how do you gather together? So Perry Nobles Church, for instance, I mean, they launched online uh, Second Chance Church and they launched online and they were probably online for a year before they ever met for a worship service all together physically in person. Um, wow. So I think it's going to look different, different shapes, but being in a post-denominational, post-Christendom culture, it's going to open up a lot of different opportunities. Do you think that, that mainline denominations are all but gone? Yeah, I think uh, we see evidence of that just by the sheer numbers of decline. People, um, don't like the hierarchy because yeah. they don't understand it. They like more of that organic, non-authoritative approach. Don't tell anybody, but I don't understand it either. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to figure out because, you know, in, in our case, the United Methodist church, uh, when you tell a business person, Hey, we, you know, we gather several hundred people together in a room every four years to make decisions doesn't make any sense to them yeah so i mean i th- i think you'll see even the decline in a lot of mainline denominations you'll see um more people gravitating to non-denominational with that though comes issues too because you see the lack of accountability um you know more the wild wild west in a way and we see some abuses that have come up recently uh bill Hybels, um, and then uh, um, the other the other Chicago church recently um, that that experienced the same thing. So here you have non-denominational churches. They have a board, but the pastor becomes larger than the the board, sure. and not paying the price for it. So yeah, we certainly yeah, do live in the tension of all that, don't we? Of of, of connection and in our individual identities. Jason, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I agree, you know, and, and it pains me because I do a lot of work in the United Methodist Church all over the denomination. But uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is the contrast of a franchise and the franchise and the food truck, which is basically a local dive. You know, uh, the food truck, if the recipe isn't selling, you tweak it right on the spot. You know, you don't have to, you, there's not a huge rudder you have to turn 
or a lot of people that have to make decisions about, hey, that, or we're not selling anything here, let's move the truck and go down the road. Uh, the problem is that with the denominational structure and the way that general conference works and delegates and um, everybody duking things out and legislation and so on and so forth, by the time you recognize there's a problem and you need to change it, there's so many steps you have to go through to actually make the change happen. Um, it's difficult to to react in enough time to really make a difference. So yeah, know, and, and to use your metaphor, right? Like uh, the problem is we're asking franchisees owners to make votes about the franchise. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, so it's inherently it's inherently uh, cumbersome from the jump because. Hey, uh, you know, we, we probably should talk about how to redefine pastor compensation in the Methodist church, but uh, you're asking a room full of pastors who are probably scared to death of the conversation. Yeah. Well, I just read an article, not to get political, but I just read an article about um, Ted Cruz is put, put forth a bill to uh, um, vote about term limits for senators. Now, what do you think the senators are gonna do? <laughs> right, right. Vote? Are we gonna take term limits? Probably not, you know? Probably not. You know, and in our denomination, there's this guaranteed appointment system. And if, if you have to vote, hey, should we have guaranteed appointments or not? Well, how do you think that's gonna go? You know, I personally, I don't feel like guaranteed appointments are a good thing uh, for many of our churches because you have people that can kind of phone it in and not really do their their full share of work and still have an appointment no matter what, you know? So. Yeah. I, I think that what you guys are raising in this book is conversations that every person needs to have as they come to Christ, right? As, as they begin to continue their walk with Christ, where can they engage a community and, and what community do they need in the season of life that they're in mm -hmm. to follow Christ? And, and I, so what I do appreciate about, um, what you guys are putting out is this idea that there is something out there for you that could be a franchise. It, it very well could be a big church and in South Dayton where we are, we have several of them that are great churches and I know they're pastors and they're great men of God and they're preaching the gospel and you know, they're bringing in a couple thousand a week, you know, mm -hmm. and then, but you may also be at a place where you need, where you need a, a, a local dive. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you guys tell someone who's who's sitting in a church and they've been there for a while and and maybe it's time to change from one to the other? How do you know when when it's time to change churches? Hmm. Well, before I answer that, just you know to piggyback on what you're saying, I know when people come and visit our church, for instance, it it might not be a fit, right? And so I do mention churches. I mention your church some other churches that they can check out and then larger ones um, because they may be looking for something we can't give them, which is fine. I don't, I can't give them a lobby in the, well, I could give them a lobby being in a movie theater, but a, ca a cafe and a lobby and a playground, you know, and a play area and yeah. all that. I mean, you're not giving them stained glass windows. Yeah. Right. So, so it really, it really varies. Um, but your question was, I got going. What was no, it? No, it's it's okay. Um, the the question was, how do you know when it's time to leave a church? Like it, maybe you're in one and it's time to move to the other. How do you know? Yeah, are you talking as a leader or no, uh, uh, for the lay for the lay person, the person who's been sitting in there and they've been they got maybe they grew up in this church, maybe they um, they walked in. This was the first church down the street. Mm -hmm. You know, um, how, how do you know when it's time to 
to go to the next level, when you need more engagement? How do you know that? Yeah, I'm going to let the layperson answer that. Yeah, I would say, you know, the, the focus of the book or the who we wrote the book for probably isn't that layperson having yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It's certainly more for the leader and trying to say, again, how do you build the right systems? You know, the my response to that would be that if you don't feel excited to get up on Sunday morning, if you don't feel challenged, if you're not, if the worship doesn't speak to you, whether, whether it's a franchise or a local life, if you feel no connection at your church, I think it's time to try something else. And, and again, I don't know that it matters if you end up at a, an elevation church or you end up at a normal Heights, which is that church with the pews facing the center, whatever, you know, one of the things I've been talking about more recently is trying to get rid of the, the monikers that we put on these things, traditional and contemporary. I really don't like those terms all that much. I like to think about how do we create resonant worship, worship that resonates. You know, there are things about traditional worship that resonate still in our culture today. You know, I think some of those creeds, some of those prayers we pray, some of the liturgy um, still resonates. But I also think that things are part of our non-traditional experience, the music, um, creativity, media, also resonate. So what might it look like to create worship that resonates? And I think for your average person that's like, I'm not getting anything out of this church. The reality probably is that whatever is happening in worship or within that community isn't resonating with them. So it's not necessarily about style so much as it is how you're carrying out the gospel. How are you, how are you making people feel connected to it, uh, both through worship and through intentional hospitality and, and building community. I, um, also think it's what you put in. You don't get out. You might not get something out of it if you don't put something into it. So how do you prepare your heart regardless of what happens in worship? Um, you know, a lot of it is not going to be your affinity. If let's say you prefer and you know, we hate the, the terms, but man, if you prefer the organ and that's your jam and that's how you experience God, um, and you don't have an affinity toward, you know, maybe an electric guitar or whatever, uh, it's finding where you need to be in that respect, but also challenging yourself to get out of your comfort zone too. Uh, because you could have the greatest worship experience and still not get off your butt and do anything. Mm. Be motivated uh, to be engaged in service and in mission and those things. And then you may think, the problem lies with the worshiper with the pastor instead of looking at yourself. So uh, I think if, you know, to answer your question, if you've gotten too comfortable in your church, um, if everybody looks like you, if maybe you're not engaged in any kind of service, it might mean to take the next step. Um, and, and to leave somewhere, uh, you, you can't run from somewhere. You got to be called to somewhere. And so a lot of the times people will stop going to a certain place, but then they won't go to church anywhere. Mm. So um, wait for God's call in that. Um, don't, don't, don't leave something just to leave uh, or run from, but feel called to somewhere. And, and so, yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for the time today. Where can people go to pick up the book? 
Uh, when does the book become available? Give me all the details. Go ahead, Jason. We are uh, putting the final touches on it. Um, we, we were about 98% finished with the edit and uh, some things were brought to our attention. Uh, so I've, I have put together a couple more interviews. So we're not 100% sure when it comes out. Uh, right now, pre-order is scheduled for the end of March with an April 1st, I think is when they were sending it to the, the printer, if I, if I understand correctly. That may be affected because we're, we're doing a week of, of some additional uh, collection of stories. Um, we are in the process of putting together Franchise 2 Dive, uh, Franchise the Letter 2 Dive.com, which will be a website uh, that will give you information about the book. Roz and I have been traveling all over the country doing on-camera interviews with uh, pastors that are doing amazing things. So I think this weekend I will be doing our eighth interview and we've got some more lined up um, with uh, some incredible leaders. So it's going to be franchise to local uh, franchise to local dive road trip is what that series will be called. And most of them are 20 to 30 minute interviews and uh, they'll have lots of good nuggets for you to, to learn in addition to the material in the book. That's awesome. And where can we hook up with you guys on social media individually? Uh, you can reach me. Uh, Facebook is my best platform, but um, facebook.com forward slash Midnight Oil Productions. I'm also on Instagram at, at Midnight Oil or Midnight Oil Productions. Um, and uh, don't try and follow me on Twitter. I don't, I'm, I'm not much of a tweeter, but <laughs> at, right. at Midnight Oil PROD on, on Twitter. Roz, yeah. what about you, man? Uh, Facebook forward slash rev dot Roz. And then on Instagram, I think it's the same thing. Let me check. I can't even remember. I'm crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you can go to my webpage, rosariopicardo.com as well. Great. And so the last, last question I always love to ask people before, before we get off the, the conversation here is if, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Now, I'm going to send you guys to the very – to uh, uh, the same place, uh, you guys will be at different stages, but if you could go back to your very first church job, you guys have both worked in churches for a long time. If you could go back to your very first church job, whatever the role was, wherever it was in, in the world, what's one piece of advice you would give young Jason and young Ross? Hmm. Take your time with it, I'll edit out the silence. I think for me, it would be um, enjoy the season you're in because sometimes we're always thinking tomorrow's going to be better or we don't realize how good it is compared to how, how it may become down the road. You know, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, yeah. sometimes seasons of ministry are fun and everything is great. <laughs> and sometimes seasons of ministry are difficult and, uh, I think that too often we don't we don't really rejoice and fully be present and experience the the great things that are happening as they're happening. Uh, we're always looking to tomorrow or maybe even looking back. My best days were behind me or my best days are ahead of me and I think being present in the moment would be what I would tell myself. Enjoy what you're going through right now. Oh, that's good. I like that. Ross? Uh, ministry isn't always about productivity in terms of always having to work so hard 
you know, Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time and a season for everything. And a lot of times, even when we think, hey, we're planting something and we're getting the land ready, if you will, and we till it and we put seeds in, you don't go out a day later and expect growth. Um, it takes time. And so I think in my younger days, I wanted to see results quickly. So what I would have told myself was to chill out. Um, that's the advice. Chill out. Chill yeah. out. I love it. I love it. And and I love you guys. So hey, thank we you, love you, man. Thank you so much for, for both of you being on the podcast. I'm excited to see and get my hands on a copy of Franchise the Local Dive. I'm, I'm just praying that God's going to do some amazing things um, with and, and through this writing. And uh, I know he's already done that for both of you and continues to do amazing, do amazing things. things. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, bud. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the episode today with Jason and Roz. I know they have so much to offer us. Such a a blessing to have resources like this in the local church. As always, the best compliment you can give us is to rate, share, and maybe tell somebody about the podcast who's never listened before. We're constantly trying to get the word out. And we got some great guests coming up. Guys like Art Rainier, uh, Will Howe, Andrew East, Daniel M., and so many more. The best way to make sure that you don't miss a single episode is to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'd love uh, to stay connected with you. Our goal, as always, is to help people connect with good practices for faith and life.